I'm Matt. I'm Melissa. And I'm Annie. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. This is your first time joining us. Together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week, we're discussing Season 3, Episode 13, Shut the Door, Have a Seat. Written by Matthew Weiner and Aaron Levy, directed by Matthew Weiner. This episode originally aired on November 8th, 2009. The hit movies that week were at number one, A Christmas Carol, which is brand new. Number two, This Is It, a movie that I literally have no memory of. And number three, The Men Who Stare at Goats, which is also new. The hit song was Fireflies by Owl City, a song that I have both a lot of weird, like, nostalgic feelings for, but also definitely did not like at the time. And EDM music will never be the same. <laughs> it's still true, though. Planet Earth still does turn slowly. Um. Okay, so Mad Men. With 1964 just around the corner, it's a season of both endings and new beginnings. Before we get into talking about the episode, though, we have a special guest to join us for the finale. Yay! Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am Liz. Um, yeah, so that's that's me. I am Liz. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I um, I work at an ad agency, and I have for the last, I think, five years. I've been advertising in some aspect or another for the majority of my career. So finally being in the agency world um, and watching Mad Men has been a trip, but a fun one. Uh, for sure. I was just going to say, is this your first time watching or a rewatch? This is my first time watching. So, um, I mean, I rewatched this episode, but I've only actually seen it one time all the way through. But you have and seen all of Mad Men. I have seen all of Mad Men, yes. I have watched it all the way through, yes. Okay. Lots yeah. of silence from everybody for me today. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine. I, no like, I, I've already prepped myself. I was like, don't talk about things beyond. Just, like, stop <laughs> at this episode. <laughs> um... Yeah, I started watching Mad Men last summer when it moved to Amazon Prime, basically. Or no, I take it back. It was on Netflix, I think, before it went to Prime, right? I think there was like maybe a two-week yeah, hiatus. Yeah, something like mm-hmm. that. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like the rest of us in this pandowdy, just trying to find things to watch and do. <laughs> and uh, I was like, you know what? Now's a good time. <laughs> Might as well start the show and see what it's like. I, I, you know, like I said, working at an ad agency, I've worked with many people who have been very shocked that I've never seen it. And like, how do you not know? And blah, blah. Um, and, you know, between the two agencies I've worked at, everyone's like, oh, it's so like this and so like that. So I was like, okay, you know what? Now's the time. I'll check it out. Um, and I got sucked in real quick, mm-hmm. right away. Zipped through it. I will say, you know, I, I'm not going to take away from the writing or the character development or anything like that. I fell in love with it definitely from like the agency perspective. And I remembered like telling my boyfriend, telling friends at the time, I was like, whenever they have meetings or they're fighting about who's <laughs> doing what, <laughs> or like just bitching about clients, like that's the stuff I love, which is not good because that's what I deal with at least 40 hours a week, every week. <laughs> so apparently I'm just a sadist who just wants to watch other people go through the same shit I do. So it's probably um, like really yeah. val- validating for you. 
There are, uh, we'll talk a little bit about it, specifically this episode that I feel very validated in, um, because I am not a creative. Um, I'm not the fun, cool one at the agency. I have what people have told me is the worst job in any agency. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <No>. Which is? <laughs> um, which, yeah, I probably should have warned you guys on that. Um, so I work in client services, which can also be account services and it can also be brand, uh, depending on how your agency decides to to call them or so strategy sometimes are you a pete a little bit i'm a pete okay i'm a pete yeah okay. oh uh-huh yeah no one likes me uh <laughs> i like you look oh, he should you. be so lucky to be more you <laughs> yeah there's there are no women petes as you know in, in the uh in uh the agency currently so um i think it all um but yeah, that, that's what I do. Um, you control all the information. You tell people how much they can spend. You don't get to come up with the cool ideas, but you're the first one the client goes to when there's a problem. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, but I love it. Honestly, I really do. I actually really like my job, and I like what I do. And, um, yeah, that's that's my agency story. Yeah, I that's it. cool. I mean, that's such a completely <laughs> different perspective than what we have. So I'm excited to see where you have little tidbits to add from that aspect into the discussion of this episode. Yeah. And I guess then, like, speaking of which, and maybe we can, like, use this as a segue to move into this the discussion. Um, Liz, have you ever been part of a agency heist or a client heist? I've been been part of a team putting together like Ocean's Eleven style to um, start a new agency because that's kind of what happened this episode. It was it was definitely a, a bit of a, a heist film. It was. It was a heist film. We've seen bank heist, time heists, you know, all those other things. No, sadly, I have not been part of an agency heist or even a client heist. Um, but you know. My, I'm young. It could happen. I would not say no to it. It's it's <laughs> exciting, and I think that's what makes this 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 episode. You know, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are, but I think that's what makes this episode super fun, and it feels really fast to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like faster pacing than any of the other episodes, especially you know the kind of one right before this, mm-hmm. the grownups. Um, but yeah, there's so much quick movement and so much quick decision making. Um, with it, I have, like I said, I've not been part of an agency heist, but man, it's so fun and exciting what they do with it. And like, just, just like the quick decision making and like, you know, you mentioned Ocean's Eleven, you know, you need your bag, man. You need your, what your, uh, what, what was, uh, Don Cheadle's character? He was like the boom guy. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. The pyrotechnics and like, you know, everyone has their role and, we see that develop um, throughout this episode and like, and how the kind of key players, the, the Danny ocean, the rusty kind of realize early on that they're going to need a few other people to make sure this pulls off quickly. Putting the gang together is so much fun. And there's, yeah. there's a couple of things that I just like really love just by virtue of having um, that in the episode. And one of those things is, Pete and Trudy being like little partners in crime because they were already doing their own like <laughs> like I'm not calling them shady but 
they they were enacting a plan in which they were feeling like they were pulling some things over on some people when Pete called in sick to do an interview. He already had his account folders at home because he was already making plans. And then I just love the way that Trudy's like managing this meeting from the shadow. She's like, Peter, <laughs> can I talk to you a minute? And then they share this like kiss at the end of their the scene in their house that they're they're just like so excited about doing this thing. And I just think that it's so cute. I agree. I love it. It was a lot of fun. Trudy's putting out the chip and dip. <laughs> <laughs> I also enjoyed Pete's ruffled hair because it looked like um, he like was teen beat, like teen beat Vincent Carthaser. <laughs> <laughs> like it was a nice throwback to the middle part and everything. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're right, Melissa. I, I know, you know, you guys have talked about how like it's a little frustrating to watch sometimes how like Trudy or even any of the other women have to like kind of manage their husbands a bit, but this seems okay. I like Trudy, and I think that she is not given a lot of justice mm-hmm. or credit throughout throughout what we've seen so far for her. 100%. But I do think that what she like she takes this role that she's like okay this is where i'm at 1960s housewife this is what i'm doing and she just like she grabs it by the balls and she relishes in it and it like you said it's really fun to see like they're just this part this this team that's doing it and i i think having a partner that understands agency life and i and i we can go into that later if you guys want but it's it's a different type of lifestyle having a partner that really gets it and is supportive and is like willing just to kind of roll the punches with it is amazing and i think trudy honestly is the only one me i think trudy is the only one who actually gets that and she's willing to take on that role mm-hmm. uh, I, w- I don't want to say it's like a politician's partner but i would say that there's some things you just kind of have to know happen with it and, and that happens across a lot of other jobs and industries i don't want to say that that's not a standard thing like doctor's wives and, or husbands and things like that so i just yeah I, uh, Trudy deserves all the all the gold stars for this episode. I like hate to say this, but <laughs> just because of the issues that we've had with Pete in the past. But um, and this is a good episode for Pete. He had a good episode last time too. Like we'll just see what happens, okay? Um, but <laughs> this is like the type of like fun partnership that like Don and Betty could have had if he ever included her in anything. Because I'm sure that Peggy, or I'm sure, excuse me, that Betty would love to get down with like a secret heist. <laughs> oh my god! I think, yeah, I feel like she did at like some other. She's like when she's shown up to dinners, it was with yeah. the Uts guy. With oh the yeah, 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 like she was like, ready to play the game. Yeah, she's willing to play the game. Yeah, I think Pete pulls Trudy in without kind of realizing how much he's involving her mm-hmm. um, where the other men just don't even consider it because they're so close. Definitely. It shouldn't have to be like a conscious decision to, Oh, I'm sorry. Do things. <laughs> with yeah, your, your life wife, partner, your life <laughs> partner. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think too, I wonder if like part of the, the difference between, you know, when we see Betty in, in that dynamic versus when we see Trudy in, in kind of that dynamic is like the approximate like 10 year um age difference give or take between the drapers and the the campbells and that like i fully believe that like when they got married and don was like starting to become the don that we meet kind of in the series that Benny probably was more involved and he wanted to bring her to things and he wanted to like, you know, in, in the construct of, you know, the, the, their, their society and stuff like that, like show her mm-hmm. off and do that tea tank, 
tag team, excuse me, thing. But like over time, as as Dawn was Dawn and unable to to settle and that restlessness and things like that, she became like this tool in a toolbox that he would then, you know, pick up and then use because he knew how to how to weaponize it when he when he needed it. And then we've even seen that as recently as I think it was two or three episodes ago when it was the Sterling Cooper birthday party and. You know, they they go to that and she's starting to kind of play that role. But you can see on Betty's face that uh, she's she's not into it anymore. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we'll we talk about that more later. But, uh, yeah, no, I think there's definitely some some parallels to draw there for sure. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think it's partially because of who Trudy's father is versus who's who Betty, like how Betty grew up? Yeah, 100%. Because Trudy, Trudy's dad owns Clearasel or whatever. Or yeah, works yeah, there or whatever, yeah, yeah. Or works there, yeah. Maybe not owns it, but like, yeah, it's in head of marketing. So like, I do. Uh, I mean, I agree, and I think there is those parallels for sure. But I also kind of wonder, like, no slight on Betty. She didn't know the ad world. You know, she was a model. She was on the very different side of it when she met Don. But I think that Trudy kind of saw a little bit more from her from her parents' side. So she was like, okay, and I'm gonna not gonna do. I know what I am gonna do. Mm-hmm. How I'm gonna like mold pete to i think that I her dad gave her like a lot of agency in a way that mm-hmm. we know that yeah. betty's dad didn't so she is, has been like a confident um like handling shit person probably her whole life because yeah her not that betty's dad didn't love her that's not what i mean to say but i mean like trudy's dad loved her in like a healthy supportive like signing you up for success type of way yeah. Do we want to talk about how this all started before we get into Yeah, like, let's, yeah. No, oh, let's I guess. <laughs> <of it. laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, this is not my show, guys. Oh, you can do <laughs> it. Oh, no, you're doing we don't. Great. We don't have a, um, we don't have a dedicated host. We normally just let this shit just come out and hopefully it turns just, out good in the edit. Um, just a couple of pals talking about a show. Yeah, so basically what happens is Dawn is sleeping in Baby Jean's room, which uh there's this like two things about that that i'm just gonna get out right here is that later in the episode when sweet sally is like he's sleeping in jean's room it's scary in there and then you like see her sleeping in there when he's not home i'm like oh but it's scary in there oh my god i can't believe it (laughs) um but i also was like don sets an alarm for these connie meetings is what i thought originally but then i was like oh this is probably just his normal alarm for his normal day but connie has conditioned me to believe that he only does shit at like 3 a.m <laughs> it feels early like it feels like it's he's having like 7 a.m meetings mm-hmm. um yeah and don's feelings get big time hurt by connie here because i think because like don is upset that connie's not like protecting him personally mm-hmm. in this um i don't know how he would do that I guess. Uh, but Connie, Connie's basically just like, eh, shrug. Um, and he says this thing that is like, he says, I got everything I have on my own, so it makes me immune to those who complain and cry because they can't. And that makes me feel so icky inside. <laughs> yeah. The bootstraps things, like, well, well, like, well done, Like, it sir. is so, especially because he's already talked about, like, how his sons are basically worthless because he gave them all the money. And I'm like, you, I don't. It's just like not a healthy world. I mean, you're still Conrad Hilton. Like, you're still. (laughs) 
like well also conrad had connie had set up this dynamic between him and don it's very fatherly mentory you know we have a connection that just goes beyond business and on top of that don's waking up in an attic and his life is falling apart so he kind of gives no fucks which was kind of funny but also he he got put in his place so easily my interpretation of don just like and, and this is solely from just seeing creative people or just even heads of departments like get dicked around by clients. I, it felt very like Don was like, I played the game. I did everything I was supposed to do. Like oh. we had this father son relationship. I gave you good work. Like I, you met my wife. Like I made sure that you were bringing in like kind of like side business and secret stuff on the side, like kind of always having this carrot dangled in front of him. Mm-hmm. And then to have it just ripped apart so callously, or ripped away from him so callously, and, just been, and then for Connie to say, like, I've, I've, I've earned everything on my own, so now I'm immune to, you know, people who bitch about it. And I think for Don, like, especially with the flashbacks that we see of him growing up, where, like, we know he grew up very poor, and he had to fight for everything. So to not only have his father figure be taken away, but then also have this like carrot dangle in front of him for nearly a year that he thought he was like really making progress on. It was kind of hanging his hat on it and then just like kind of ripped away. He's just like, fuck this. So, and I know, I mm-hmm. hope you guys are okay with like the swearing on this, but yeah. Oh, like, yes. <laughs> yeah. But he's just like, fuck this. Like, fuck you. You know, like I've given you some of my, he was, he was mad. He was upset about it and I don't blame him. Like. If you give a client great ideas and if you give them great strategy and then they're just like, cool, thanks, bye. Like, If you're calling me at my house when I have a newborn baby in the middle of the night and acting like it's not a big deal, like, I would like some special treatment. This is maybe the most I felt related, like, like the most relatable I've found Don when he, like, gets mad about this. Because I get my feelings hurt in the corporate world all the time for things that I know better, you know? Like... Mm-hmm corporations are not your friends conrad hilton is not your friend you know but it just happens like you give so much of yourself and your time and your energy to something you think that it's going to give you something back and like it never does (laughs) it's and it's it's about boundaries too right and when we when people like adjust our boundaries for you know that special that special client or that special project at work or you know boundaries in the context of our relationships be they platonic romantic co-workers family or whatever when we start making exceptions and we start altering the boundaries or don't have boundaries we kind of are trained to be rewarded for that or mm-hmm. to ha- we're doing it because we seek some kind of potential benefit and I think kind of going over like this whole episode and even I think the looking back as we're now at the the season three finale and the season of a whole is it's been a lot of boundary pushing and like you know comfort level pushing and and things like that whether it be kind of the because I've been really trying to figure out the Peggy and Duck stuff and I think it finally like crystallized a little bit for me in in this episode with you know when they're putting the team together to start the new agency um but the idea of like boundaries and who are we within the boxes we put ourselves in and then seeking out to get out of those boxes and things like that and don is in rightly or wrongly most oftenly wrongly has 
pretty strict strict boundaries for himself and rules of how he behaves right he has his mm-hmm. box of work he has the box that you know he puts suzanne in and him that relationship then his family box and, and things like that never kind of the twain shall meet and right now it's like he's completely losing control of all of that he's losing his family he lost suzanne he's losing his surrogate father which ties into the business which is also losing so i think too like him going to him going to bert after he gets the tip off from from hilton about the agency being sold and then them going to roger and then them going to lane kind of the dominoes that then trigger the the, I keep want to say the time heist, an inverted Mobius strip at, at Sterling Cooper. Um, I should rewatch Endgame. Anyways, um, <laughs> but starts like kind of the, the machinations of starting the new agency. It's because the control that Don's been seeking to have and the boundaries that he creates in all the realms of his life are exploding. So he needs like he's not running away, but he is keeping moving, right? Because he can't control these other things, so he can throw himself into the agency heist while Mm -hmm. you know it's like that cartoon where the dog's like this is fine sitting at the table everything burns around him um that's kind of dawn in this episode um no that's super well said i think boundaries is such a, a really great way to put it because the more we talk about it the more i realize two things like one this is very like how we talk about like the friend zone thing of i went out of my way to treat you differently than how i normally treat other people and now you're not paying me back for it you know you don't you don't he's made a contract with conrad in his mind that connie that connie didn't realize that he was being coming a part of and now he's mad at him for not living up to that contract and Mm -hmm. this is basically what don does to the the his side women where he's kind of making them promises he's saying he's not going to make any promises but he's also making them like emotional promises giving them what they're going to be like, oh, well, obviously I'm being treated special and I'm going to be the one who's here for him. And now he's not doing that. He's doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He's not offering any of the special stuff he um, insinuated. And now now their lives get to fall apart and he just gets to be done. He's just living up to the sort of legacy that his new daddy had set. Like, sorry, Don, that's just how it happens, I guess. I do like this scene because it feels like Don kind of meets his match in Connie because um, this is like the push that he needed to go like actually do something like go actually build something like I just I love this idea that the same time that this divorce is actually happening like in previous dawns from other episodes, earlier dawns, he would have just been, like, dipping out so fast. Like, oh, this is not working out for me. Like, I'm going to run. Like, this is definitely mm-hmm. a Don should be running situation, but he's not. Like, he's digging in roots. Like, he is going to build something. Like, in my mind, it's, like, a little bit to because he wants to do it and because he cares about the work, I think that all that stuff is vaguely true. But also, I think it's probably just to prove to Betty, to Conrad, to everybody that, like, he can commit to something. That he's a real oh, I, boy. I agree. I can do this. <laughs> yeah, I think that work is the only thing that he's ever felt like he could commit to. And I think it's because it's constantly changing mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. not stale. Yeah, and he can and be so married to the money now. <laughs> he can be married to the mar- work, he can be married to the money, and it doesn't, like, 
it is a new woman with every client. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it is, it, it, he gets all of that and that excitement, mm-hmm. that thrill and like that work for, and you know, how do I make this happy for both of us in a weird sixth sense? It's so interesting though, that the whole thing, cause like when in his interaction with Connie, he seems to like get his shit together and be like, well, okay, civil handshake where me, where parting is equals whatever bullshit, but sure. But the whole thing is just like, oh, I built this thing by myself, but, and Don goes off to do the same thing. But at the same time, Connie's full of shit. (laughs) And we see Don putting his own thing together and we're like, no, Don still needs other people to make this work. And that's not a bad thing And Connie needed Don. Yeah, he needed Don. (laughs) He needed other people. He he didn't literally build Hilton from the ground up on his own. He didn't <clears throat> lay the bricks on top of each other. He didn't get, you know, get the financing on right. his own. He had other people and it's Don is showing so that you do need other people. <laughs> uh, from his dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, Don is kind of in the same boat as Connie. Like he has options he can tap into and make it work he just has to convince them to do so and so now he has to be a salesman now he has to be an account man mm-hmm, which he hasn't had to be for a while oh don so now he's starting to assemble his team yes but the fi- <laughs> fi- they're in for the fight of their lives and they're i was win. pretty <laughs> impressed with burt cooper being like yes. oh i do things now like so <laughs> this is how the man started a business in the first place nice to see you burt <laughs> yeah I, I first he's like such an old man of like i'm just gonna spend all my entire life savings and i'm not young enough where i can just build it back up again and but he's so <laughs> he's so enthusiastic. He works on Roger, even though Roger's like, uh, Don was doing better. What I can't believe that your your tactic is to tell me <laughs> I may as well just retire and then immediately die. Join or die. That's so that was great. I okay, so I, I I've told I think all of you individually how much I love Burt Cooper. And look, <laughs> he's he has problems. Like his obsession with Japanese culture is not explored in a way that makes it okay um but i i I love him i just i i would love to have him in like in the office space because i actually do think that he's like he's a good father figure for both roger and don in Mm -hmm. the different ways they each need it Mm -hmm. and he capitalizes on that and you can see it come out in both how he handles don when don's like so you're just gonna let it happen and then i'm stuck with this and then also with roger i mean the 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 joiner die is a little extreme, but <laughs> I think he also is like tapping into Roger's ego in that. Mm-hmm. And Bert is a lot smarter in reading his two boys because they are boys. They're not men. <laughs> uh, and, and addressing each of them correctly. And he gets excited. And I think, you know, I think for him, it's also kind of like, Oh, you came to me. You like me. You're going to yeah. include me. Like, who doesn't want to be included in in, in a fun heist? Yeah, right? and, and and I think Bert's one of those the only characters that like has kind of that that level of gravitas with Don, where Don really mm-hmm. listens, right? Because like again, yeah, he was seeking out Hilton as this kind of like surrogate father figure and stuff like that there too. But there still was that kind of business element, whereas it's mm-hmm. like. When Bert says something or makes a decision, it's like Don listens, and even like Bert, Bert knows Don isn't who he says he is. Like Pete does, because in the first season, Pete took the shoebox um, from Adam 
Oh, rest in peace, Adam. Um, but the shoebox from Adam to like, so like, Bert knows, and like, Bert just I think the only one like like you say has that that gravitas with both Roger and and Don to kind of say, hey, you knuckleheads, knock their heads together, and it's like get along and let's let's mm-hmm. do this thing, right? Yeah, and I think Bert also just like he's always kind of had Don's number anyways, but he he recognizes the asset that he is. Like he knows who Don is as a person, even if he doesn't know specifics and um and he doesn't like look necessarily look down on him or raise him up unfairly and i think don probably appreciates that maybe unconsciously bert's the best yeah i mean he would super 100 percent say ni hao to me if i walked into a room but i would find it weirdly charming (laughs) yeah i'm obsessed with this tea set that is shown later when they meet with lane um I love it's when appropriate Roger's like, it. we have tea. <laughs> like, yeah, give the British guy tea. Everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah, I just, I love Bert. He's, he's one of my faves. Um, he's just so sweet. And he's always, like, I love his suits, but no shoes. <laughs> it's just Because that's what the Asian people do. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, ev- no one should wear shoes indoors. That's just, he's right there. So the another question that I have that's kind of relates to the the heist section before we kind of dive into the the Don and Betty stuff more more kind of intentionally and maybe I can I'll throw to throw to you Annie we can go Annie Liz kind of Melissa and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it the recruitment of Peggy both the the flaw the unsuccessful first attempt and then the crossing of boundaries we're talking about before where he he goes to her house later to have a second a second chance at, at the pitch with that how did you feel about that first question and second question how did peggy's other offers in the terms of you know being courted by duck compare and contrast to to donna this episode and yeah annie we'll start with you oh i'm well uh, so i'm definitely i've got it's a complicated feeling because uh Peggy was being offered to be appreciated more, which is kind of most of what she what she needs and wants, which is great. And then Duck, again, men just having the audacity to uh, mess with boundaries. And what could have been like a really great thing for me, I, I couldn't. I I just wasn't I, I I can't I can't condone it in any way because of all the the non work stuff with Duck, and I hate it. <laughs> Um, that said, I don't necessarily super like what happened, like Don's approach with, with courting Peggy to the new company, but I don't hate it either. Like, I think we've talked a lot before about how they've set up kind of like a mentorship mentee, um, situation, almost, you know, father, daughter kind of situation. And in a parent-child relationship, you always have this moment where the parent has to recognize that their kid is not just an extension of him or her, like Don mentioned. Uh, and that person has to re- be able to break out and prove that all their achievements and you know just general good things about them isn't because of the parent. It's actually inherent in them. Uh, and then you have this moment where they both reckon with that, and that's great. And I, I, I like the growth. I, I see it. Um, at the same time, again, we see Don being very vulnerable and using that to get what he wants with a woman. 
Mm. Again. Mm -hmm. And he says the right things, but doesn't he always? He so, had me going in this episode. I will. <laughs> I thought of you, Melissa, when he got yeah, all like yeah. red eyed a little bit talking to, to Peggy. Because, you know, I was just out of my fucking chair when Peggy's like, you didn't even ask me. Yes. <laughs> like people forget that Peggy is not going to take your shit because she's because she's a woman and because she's adorable and she's, she's generally so soft spoken and she just gets her work done and she's good at it. People forget she's a killer. Yeah. Peggy has something that I really admire and I probably don't have as much as I should Um because you're right, she is a killer. She's she's gonna ask questions and and um, like if my mentor came to me and was like, "Worth doing this, you're coming with me," I'd be like, "Well, how much am I getting paid?" <laughs> yeah, but okay. Like, <laughs> we'll talk <laughs> like, about conversation I, in the car. <laughs> yeah, but I'd be like, "Okay, like great, I love working with you, but who else is in?" Um, and I, I, you know, I, but that's because I'm an idiot. But Betty, like, I love that she's like. You just assume that I'm going to go with you. And, um, you know, I, there's something I really like about that from a viewer's perspective. Mm -hmm. Because Betty doesn't know that Don didn't Peggy. even consider or ask. Or sorry, Peggy. Sorry, yeah. Peggy doesn't even know that Don didn't ask or consider anyone else. Mm -hmm. Like, he didn't go to Kinsey. He didn't go to anyone else. And he just went to her automatically. And, you know... I, is there something flattering in that? I think there is. I think, you know, Peggy's not, she's not in a space and she doesn't have, she doesn't have that option where she is to even understand that that says a lot. And to your point, like he always says the right thing. He could just never say it the first time around. He always has to like, wait till it's the do or die moment, the edge of the cliff where he's like, okay, yeah, I need you. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I can hire you if you're not going to take this. Which is what he just should have said in the first place. It's like, I know. you have to make everything it's so goddamn fair. dramatic. Because you know I was so into it when he was like, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to hire you. And on one hand, I'm like, all right, Peggy, you should take that option because I'm trying to watch. <laughs> well, um, yeah. in fair, okay. So just to slightly contradict myself with the using his emotional vulnerability and to what, just There's to what you're saying, <laughs> to what you're saying, Liz, about you know waiting for the moment where it's like do or die to say the right thing that is also what he does with pete admittedly yeah. because pete demands to hear hey no i don't need to hear from roger what my skill set are because i already know what they are i need to hear don say it because don's is connie don's is surrogate dad he's That's been thirsty for this shit since season one too <laughs> okay so i'm gonna disagree with that because i don't and this is this is me projecting so <laughs> i will own that i mean that's I me think... on this entire podcast sorry go ahead <laughs> but i you know i don't think don went to pete's house without knowing that he was gonna have to say that mm -hmm. like and the tone that he gives pete versus the tone he gives peggy tells me that he's very straightforward with pete he's just like you do what i can't do you have a skill set that i don't have and we need and, you know, like, that, Pete needed that. And Don's like, it doesn't really hurt me to say that he can do something I can't do when I know I can't do it. You know, like, mm -hmm. Don... It doesn't hurt him now. There's the smallest amount of growth <laughs> for Don here in this moment. Well, yeah. I mean, Don's also desperate. Don is, de Don is at the edge of the cliff at this point. Like, he's desperate. He needs Pete because he needs to cash flow. 
And so he's going to say whatever he can to Pete right off the bat to mm-hmm. get him there. And, and I totally agree with what you're saying that he like comes to Pete with like a different energy. But do you think it's because him and Pete already kind of had their first moment and it wasn't in this episode it wasn't even in the season but like way back in the day when Pete was trying so hard to get Don's approval and he couldn't and Pete was basically like I know who you are Hmm. do you think that that is like an analog to like the first Peggy conversation and so it's like the Peggy and Don thing was like a more sped up timeline but it just seems to feel kind of the same he had already had this kind of like breaking moment with Pete and it just took him years to come back and be like all right you're right you have skills that I don't have I think it's that but I also think that Don already knew that Pete didn't get the director job the director of accounts job oh yeah oh yeah yeah, and so he's like now what he like he knows that right because they didn't go to Ken they didn't go to Ken yes they went to Pete and so it's like I'm gonna go to someone who didn't get what they wanted, but now I'm gonna offer them something bigger. He gets to be like he wants to be with his clients in pitch meetings, mm-hmm. where he's like, "Look at this great idea I have, that I've been. I knew that you were already gonna want as as soon as I came in here. I just saved it until the end, just to make it look like I was playing a game the whole time." That's fair. I do agree that the emotional demand from Don is different between Peggy and Pete, but I also don't think that. Don would have said anything unless it was dem- unless it was actually needed. But yes, when he's he's talking to Pete, it's just very factual and open and like weirdly humble. Yeah, but keep in mind he also did that to Roger before he got Roger on board. So I think he was kind of I, I don't know. I, I, oh, I personally don't want to give point. Don credit for that. He's I'm giving Don way too to much credit crow. in this episode <laughs> because I felt like he got put in his place by Connie and then he was just coming to everybody else already like I in a more humble credit place. when it comes to Roger or Pete. He deserves credit when it comes to Beggy Beggy? Betty and Peggy and the way he hand well, Betty later on at the end. But Peggy he just he's such a misogynist. It's really what it comes down to. He oh, just yeah. can't upfront admit that he was wrong to women that mean something to him. But yeah, I don't know. That's that's just like I said, maybe I'm projecting but the thing um, like I don't was he <laughs> I'm trying to make a connection between how Don treats Peggy and how his feelings got hurt by Connie. And I'm not exactly there yet, but I do think that there's like maybe some similarity to pick out. Like when Don's in the Connie position, he doesn't want to give Peggy any extra, even though he was just crying in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that exactly works, but I can see where you're go- I, maybe I, I think I can see where you're going with this in the sense that like he has that kind of, father-son relationship mentor-mentee relationship with Connie but then it's the reverse when it comes to Peggy and I think he was projecting onto Peggy like saying you're gonna come with me you know as if like he wanted Connie to say that to him Mm -hmm. yeah and it didn't happen so then he was like you know I subconsciously I don't think he actually knew he was doing that but he did the same thing to Peggy and when it didn't happen he didn't know what to do about that right away, but also didn't address it until much later or a day later, I guess. I am also now a little upset on behalf of the men, which is a weird thing I never expect to say about the show. Wow. Um, Because like, why shouldn't he be that kind of vulnerable with Roger and with Pete? And like, I know it was like (laughs) enough to work, but like the toxic masculinity is just getting in the way of whatever Uh like relationship and connection they can build. 
you shouldn't just be, you know, being the emotional person with the women and getting what you want out of it, even if I don't think it's directly him being manip- emotionally manipulative, even though he is. Um, mm-hmm. But like, be that with your bros too, Don. Come on. Mm-hmm. I think he could with Roger, but he tried with Roger and Roger didn't want to do any deal with it. Like, remember Roger's heart attack? Like, Don was trying then. Mm-hmm. And Roger to kill him. Yeah. Roger was like, nah, I'm good. But Pete, I think, I think there's potential there. Um, I have some quick thoughts before we move on from this heist. One, I love Don's face when he sees Joni and he's like, Joan, great idea. <laughs> <laughs> no questions. So that's amazing. Okay. Yes. I was going to say, I, I just, I have to talk about the value that she brings. Like, oh my God. I know it's obvious. This is, know... this is a non-starter without her. I know yeah. it is. And like the thing that I find so amazing is <laughs> again, this is purely off of experience. Like there are people in an agency where you're like, okay, I need this for this thing. I need this for this thing. I need this for that thing. And like these men are such in more upper management positions. They it never consider to them. Like, how are we going to function on a day-to-day basis? What does the day-to-day life look like mm-hmm. like we're currently you know in the year 2000 or 2021 we use like electronic software and like client management systems but back then it was literally pieces of paper most likely carbon copied where you had to like cop like do like the pencil with the rock kind of thing uh-huh. like over three different pages because i've seen these in my life um i still like, have to do this so banks work, so. still use those yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's very similar or like you need the film and the logo files and all that like actual physical things and like what requires what is required for all the client information and because they just go about like they have secretaries and they have assistants that do all this it never considered they never crossed their mind they were actually going to need any of this information so she is the skeleton key to literally everything mm-hmm. they want to do. The fact that they didn't even think about her at first, I'm surprised she didn't say anything about it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, she's, she's, she's used to it, yeah. though. I love I that she, they had this setup of like Roger and Joan having like a more evolved relationship in like the last couple of episodes. So that yeah. when Roger's like, oh, let me make a phone call, it like doesn't even feel out of the blue because they have been kind of chit chatting. Um, yeah. This was so fun. The other thing that I wanted to make sure we talked about um, was Lane. Yeah. Annie, would you like the floor? <laughs> no, I don't really need a floor. I just need to say I love Lane. I love how he sits. I love how pure he is. I love his soft voice. I love his trust in his company and that he'll just be rewarded for being a, doing a good job. I love his hesitance and reluctance to like be disloyal to his people. But when they're disloyal to him and he's just like, well, you know what? I deserve to be partner and maybe a little more. And they're like, all right, have a seat. We're negotiating. I just love him and his waistcoats. The Don end. gives Lane oh. a real cute smile too, and he's like, "All right, I guess we're negotiating." I'm like, "Don, please stop." There is Summer really looks no- only from your face, John Ham. <laughs> yes, there's really like nothing specific or concrete that I love about Lane. He's just a charismatic individual, like Jared Harris, obviously charisma at the wazoo. But there's something about him, and I love him in everything I've seen him in, but there's something about him as Lane Price that just, like, does things for my heart, where I just, <laughs> I just, I just love him. I love when he gets fires and he goes, very good, happy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's so jaunty. Have, 
Thank you for playing into our plans. He has this like, like little curl, like lip curl smirk where he's yes. like, well, gentlemen, I believe you're fired. Oh, like, I don't know is. why he says that, but it really does something to me. He's so <laughs> mischievous and in a like boyish kind of way. And he has certainly used that same smile in very like nefarious ways in other characters he's played. But here you're just like, yeah. yes, yes. Game time. Oh, uh, yeah. And he, I think also, I don't know, part of it's like, he, also, he like Bert, is like, oh, you want me to be part of the team? Oh, I'm part of the team. Okay, great. Yes, I want to do this. Uh, yeah. He just wants to that. do a good job and do his work and be rewarded for it and be treated like an equal, not like the sort of like classist bullshit from back home, which admittedly oh, yeah. still happens in America uh, even today. He's also but- finance. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's the finance guy. So he's the one who's like tightening the purse strings and like we can't spend the money on that and all that. Those are not the fun things we have to do, but he's good at it. He is and he enjoys he being good at it. He does a great many things. Yes. A great many things. <laughs> that the other guys know they can't do. So you've got your finance guy. You got your logistics guy. Yeah. Can we talk about Harry? Yes. <laughs> and why I think he's very important. Yes, please. Uh, which is not probably discussed a lot. So Lane talks about how um, American tobacco is going to bring in $24 million, right? So he's like, okay, that's operating costs, which the fact that he can do the math in his head is, is amazing. And then he's like, we need $10 million or whatever for cash flow. Um, so that's where, P, that's where P comes in. But And I think it was mentioned early on, like very casually. I'm, I'm convinced of this. Or maybe I just made it up. But, like, media makes a lot of money. And I, it's not discussed probably in depth in this show at all. But creative doesn't creative work doesn't pay the bills. Like, you can have a great pitch and you can create a great spot. But if it has nowhere to run, you are not spending any money. And media and average at that time is probably making at least 15%, if not 20% commission. So if you're spending $10 million a year, think of how much you're just taking in commission fees right off the top. And depending on their agency, this is like, this is a little inside baseball stuff, but depending on their agency structure, they may not be paid on fees or time or things like that for like the creative and the account work. Mm-hmm. So they need the money from media in order to stay afloat and actually have any sort of profit, give people name their names on the, on the, the lobby that Pete wants have desks, have bonuses, things like that. Um, so I think Harry's honestly, like, I'm so glad that I remember when the first time I watched it and I saw him, I was like, oh my God, thank God, thank God they brought the media guy in. Because unless you decide to solely be a creative agency, you're, you're, you're not going to make as much money. You're just not. You have to have media schedules for it to run. All those ads that you see on Facebook and digital and on TV and on the radio and on outdoor boards and in magazines and anything else that get delivered in your mail, those all go through Harry. Those all go through Harry. And he was, like, surprised to be there, too. Like, I know. His little guppy face when he's trying to process it. Yeah. And I think it helps that they're trying to think ahead to the future, like Don was talking to Pete about. Like, you're keeping us ahead. You're, you have good foresight. We need that. We talked about how um, how TV really influenced, you know, especially, especially relating to Kennedy from his election to his assassination, how important TV is. They need him. They need him. Well, and what Harry 
brings also, it's not just like, the, you know, the TV, but there's a lot of sponsorships that were a really big thing back in that era um, that are very lucrative. And I think he's even, that's like how he created his position, right? He was like, mm-hmm. this is how we're going to make more money. Um, so yeah, to that point, like television's only going to get bigger and Harry can see that there's only going to be more options for this. And, um, it's, he's a very vital role that I, I think, you know, even Pete's kind of like, what are you doing here? Because they don't get it. <clears throat> but yeah, they don't get it. Like don't get Harry, it. honestly, Harry and Joan should have been called before Pete no and Peggy, in my opinion. Um, but. Yeah, so my last thing I need to say about this heist is, like, what's going to happen to Ken and his haircut? Yeah. <laughs> I guess he'll go to McCann. Uh, well, okay, but... No. <laughs> well, and unless, I think... unless, we're, unless the show's going to start following two sets of advertisers and, like, Ken can be, like, the lead character of, like, the B team. You know? <laughs> I mean, I think that would be interesting, personally, but... A little competition. Well, I looked at IMDb to see how many episodes he was in, and he's in all of them, so... I'm not worried, <laughs> I'm just saying. Melissa. Well, I think... Where's my kid? Yeah, because then you get you get two different sides of it, right? So you get the startup agency, yeah. and then you get, like, the big behemoth. Because uh, McKenna Erickson is a massive agency, even to this day. It's oh, wow. Massive ag- yeah. They still exist, yeah. Well, hopefully he's yeah. going to be running that bitch by, like, season five. <laughs> I love him for no reason. <laughs> a couple more things before we move on to the Draper thing. Um, Kinsey looked really upset that Peggy's office was empty and he wasn't he wasn't approached. So kind of a little <laughs> little payoff to their rivalry there. Um, I love just really being anno- be- just I love how annoying Kinsey is sometimes, and that's honestly one of the one of the best moments of of Kinsey. Just his. His having to recognize that he's not as amazing as he keeps telling everyone he is. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It was so great. I mean, like a little evil cackle. Like, I still get just joy out of seeing his crestfallen face when he opens that door. <laughs> Sorry, mediocre white man with a pipe. Sorry, right, motherfucker. You weren't good. You ain't <laughs> shit. Your beard can't save you now. <laughs> But no, the other thing I wanted to kind of like highlight, and I think maybe we could use this as a as a transition into the Don and Betty stuff. This is one of the first times I can recall offhand, probably because I literally watched this episode yesterday, but where we see Don learn something in his family life that he then uses to solve a problem in his work life because his second pitch to, to Peggy to join the team where he is emotional and, and you know, that we had the discussion before. I'm not a hundred percent sure it was totally about Peggy. And it's like, it's probably what he wish he part of him wishes he could say to Betty because at that point his, she's already like basically said she's got the lawyer and, and that, you know, they're her, desires to get a divorce and there's nothing he can do about it whereas like we've seen don either learn things at work or through his his uh extramarital relationships that then impact his home life like again we we saw polly again at the end of this episode the dog that he got sally because rachel mankin mentioned how much she liked dogs and how every little girl needs a dog etc etc but this time we see him learning something in his person his home life 
that he then transfers to his non-home life. So that was kind of interesting. I, I loved it because I love that it threw Don on his ass. He didn't think Betty had it in her. Mm. And he has underestimated her for years. And it bit him hard. She came up around. into this episode and really said, the fuck you thought. <laughs> yeah. I love so much of this. And honestly, I love Henry Francis. I mean, we'll see where he yes. goes from here. But like, I just, I personally love him. He's and a I think... little older than my typical personal taste. But on the same note, I'm like, he could get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he He's very... Ernest, he's a little too earnest. He's intense. <laughs> well, yeah. you go from like two 30 second dates to let's get married, and I do have some negative thoughts about that, but the 1960s, you know, different times. <laughs> I mean, he's yeah. got a grown up daughter. He's like, no, I just, I just know what I want, and it's you. And well, because I mean, there's, because in a lot of ways, you've got the way he talks to Betty and his like, I will take care of the kids. I will take care of you. I don't want you to owe Don anything. You don't have to take anything <sighs> more than you need. What the way he says it, it just like it it hits me it it hits me deep. It just did it, something for I me. I hate it how makes, romantic that is. It made me sad. <laughs> it's like so romantic that he says it because it's romantic and it also makes me sad because I'm romantic and I'm like, but Don oh. and Betty have kids. They love each other. I know. But they don't. <laughs> it's over and I support it being over, but I'm just a sentimental bitch. <laughs> and but I mean oh. like even when the the lawyer like insinuates that they're not insinuates, he just basically flat out says, you know, that that they were there was adultery on Betty's side and immediately Henry's just like bro what are you doing and he's what like, are you doing I apologize for making assumptions um and you're like yes he just very coolly and calmly protects his woman but I there is something it's not it's not patronizing the way that other men in Betty's life have talked to her when they're protecting her and caring for her her dad did it Don does it even when he's just like yeah we're partners we're super like in this thing. Her brother. Yeah. Oh, mm. that guy. I forget that guy on purpose. <laughs> no, when just Henry Henry does it, he's just like, it's very, ugh, okay, so. <laughs> I'm going to be a little gross right now. I have had said to me somewhat recently, someone going, you you know, because I'm a nurse, and frankly, I complain about it a lot. I've had someone say to me, you take care of people all the time. Someone should take care of you in a very non-condescending way. Just like, look, these are your needs and I'm going to meet them. And you're like, well, that is doing something for me. I didn't expect. So. <laughs> Those are words I did not anticipate what, hearing. What ever were you saying life. about needs? Being Turns met, out I needed to say more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, occasionally men can be great without being patronizing. It's a rare occurrence, but it happens. It happens so rarely on this show that it def I think it's completely floored all three of us at least. I don't know about you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt's yeah, too busy no, swimming. Fair. He's on the floor. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's we gotta pick him up. Pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I got I did have a question about Henry. And, like, in that scene where, where he kind of, like, throws it back on the the divorce lawyer and, you know, talking about scandal and, and you know, things like that, um, he says that thing about not wanting Betty to owe Don 
anything and like it's very chivalrous and you know like very kind of protective and and, and things like that like I, I understand it but like in back in season one we talked a lot about don viewing himself as like the knight or the cowboy and like i think henry's like very much like in this prince charming mode whisking you know betty away from you know the princess from being like trapped in the castle and things like that and like so it makes me it makes me curious where their relationship will go in the future but i was curious Mm. what i was curious if if you all how you how you folks kind of read that and i guess i'll start with melissa because she's she's the one who hasn't seen seen past this episode well I mean, we already talked about how we all fell on the floor about it because he was just being, like, so romantic. But you're making a very good point. And the way you said that he is in, like, chivalry mode um, gave me a shock of nerves because it's like, is he going to change his game when they are married? Um, because this is the third season of a seven season TV show and happy people are not interesting TV. So (laughs) there are going to be things happening to Henry and Betty and it would be extremely disappointing if those things are Henry turning out to be trash. So, I mean, hopefully he really is a chivalrous. Hopefully he's a like real Prince Charming and not like Don just like wearing you know, his armor for Wolf's like clothing. the duration of the delivery of one fur coat. But now I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, no, and, no. I, and I don't think, especially because we don't know this man. <laughs> and I don't think you necessarily like. I didn't. I don't raise the question to make you or anyone who's following along with the first time like nervous. It's just like I think it's more. I more bring it up. Because it, I think it's an example of the ways in which, like, nice guys or, like, better guys or, like, whatever, like we talked about before, um, can kind of, like, perpetuate the same sort of patriarchal norms or, you know, examples of, like, inequalities and, and, and things like that, um as well and like if you're not and i say if you i mean me or henry or 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 other other cis cis males like us particularly white ones um we're not doing like that work to kind of like suss that out um even though you are better than don or better than roger or you know whatever you're still kind of perpetuating a lot of kind of or can be perpetuating a lot of other kind of damaging things too so again i think i think henry is henry and i think he's pretty i think he's pretty solid and he's constant and he'll he'll be there and he'll show up and we know that don won't so i think that that that's definitely an advantage but uh yeah just i think it's more like an example like we've talked about kind of through the last three seasons of where even when one of our our cis male characters on Mad Men is is doing something objectively good that's a positive uh and then we like it and we call it out but there is that kind of tinge of of something else there and it's like 
again, we've talked about it before. I was talking about it when I went on a socially distanced walk with a friend, a friend the other day. Um, but the bar for a lot of men is actually not on the ground. It's like six feet buried below the ground. So if you can just walk mm. across the, the pavement, it's like, yay! It's like that gift where everyone's cheering. And like really it's like, no, it just, you know, you know, we don't have to belabor the point too much more, but... No, I think that Henry, well, I guess, you know, let's just listen to, listen to everything you're saying. I think it's hard to take Henry out of the 1963 um, vacuum. And because I think that he is a good guy in the 1963 vacuum. And I think that he's a little above, he's actually above the bar of what men actually could be or should be in that era. Mm-hmm. Take him to 2021, he's at the bar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, great. But I think in your in your comment about knight versus cowboy, I think that you know I think Henry is a knight in a, a white knight in shining armor in shining armor, but I think Betty's more comfortable with that than she is anything else. And I think it took her being with Don to actually realize that. And that doesn't mean that Henry's going to put her under her thumb under his thumb. That doesn't mean that Henry's going to expect her to follow um any sort of other social norms that some of the other wives may follow or that she even chose to follow when she was married to don i think it just means that henry is going to allow her to figure out who she is Mm -hmm. and still accept that they're gonna have troubles they're they're a married couple and adults and he's older and he has his comfort levels and all that but i i think that He's very chivalrous, but I, I think Betty actually wants and needs that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's what she was for 20 plus years of her life before she met Don. She grew up in that. Yeah. And that's what she was comfortable with Don doing until she found out it was bullshit. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think it's a bad thing in this context. Yeah. It's it's the way Henry goes about it and the way Don goes about it. I'm not saying it's insincere from Don, but it is a little disingenuous because it fits more into his idea of who he is when it comes to how Henry approaches it, at least that we've seen of Henry, um, because we, it is a lot more of a limited scope of what we see of him than what we have with Don, which is three seasons worth of shit. Uh, <laughs> Henry at least gives off the vibe that what he's doing isn't for his own gratification or fitting his own image. It's for, for Betty. It's weirdly empowering. It's like, don't, you know, don't put yourself in a position to to be um, in like this emotional debt or financial debt to Don. You just be mm. you. I want just you to be completely in our relationship. That's why they haven't slept together. That's why they haven't like carried on an affair behind closed doors uh, and just went straight to like, if we're going to do this, we're going to make it legitimate. We're going to do it for real. You deserve a fully open and complete relationship. Oh. Am I hoping that's what it is as opposed to just Mm -hmm. like reading what's there? Maybe. Do I currently care? No. (laughs) (laughs) We're allowed to have nice things. Damn it, Betty. You're allowed to have a nice thing. This is a nice thing. Have your nice thing. And you know what she did get to have? She got to have a moment where she straight up looked Don in his face and was like, I didn't break up the family. Oh, I love that moment. I didn't do this. So, yeah, she's like, I didn't do this. This is not on me. So oh, mad I at loved her. it so much. 
it's such a confusing episode like not in a bad way it's really confusing because on the one hand you've got time heist just agency heist whatever agency heist <laughs> and you're like yeah rooting for the underdogs you're breaking free get it you've gotten lane that's all you need the rest are fine but then you get inter like you know interspersed with all this you have these moments where you're like wow don is a terrible person i am not on mm -hmm. his side at all he is currently mm -hmm. gaslighting his wife who's trying to leave him by saying you know like don't do this you're you know you've you've not you've been emotional you've been off you should probably see a good doctor this time and not one who will secretly tell me all the secrets that you're telling him uh telling him um which was made me mad and then later on when he finds out about henry I just kept, I, because I have, you know, Swiss cheese for a brain. I couldn't remember anything that happened. I just kept, kept waiting. Is he going to hit her? Because it feels mm -hmm. like he's going to. Mm -hmm. It and, feels really close. Yeah. And it that feels almost as bad as if he actually had. This is just he, the most disappointing. Be, the, like, the whiplash that I go through with Don Draper is, like, always annoying <clears throat> because he always gets me. But this was, like, this is one of the worst times because I cannot handle, I, like, do not deal with, like, being yelled at. <laughs> so the idea of, like, somebody waking me up out of my own bed to, like, yell at me when, like, they're the one who cheated this whole time is just, like, it makes my blood boil. <laughs> I mean, he fucking thought that that was okay to do. Yeah, yeah like... like I get <laughs> and the first thing he asks about Henry when Roger tells him isn't like, is it serious? Are they a thing? Blah, blah, blah. His first thing is just like, are they sleeping together? Bro. Really? Which like, what the fuck would Roger know? Why would Roger know that? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> one, why would Roger know that? Two, that's the one that you are worried about? Although I did hear recently. That's the shit that you do? Yeah. Although I did hear that there was like a study when um you know they asked women a, a group of people like would you prefer if you know if your partner cheated on you would you prefer if they like had a one-time sexual experience with someone else who wasn't you know you or would you like prefer that they have like a long-term non-sexual like non-sexual but emotional long-term um situation with someone and m mainly and the men mainly said they would prefer the one-time sexual experience and the women were like I would not want, I would much prefer if my partner did not have, wait, did I say this right? The The men said that they would rather that their female partners would just have had uh, an emotional relationship or emotional affair. And the women were like, we'd prefer yeah, if they had the one time sexual that. one. And that's just like, that's where I immediately went to where I'm like, Dawn, <laughs> one of these things is less important. I just went with like pot kettle black. Yes, like. it's unbelievable. And like when he's sitting there being like, "Oh, because you're good and everyone else in the world is bad." Like Don, shut the fuck up. Shut the entire fuck up. Because like you did thing. the most bad things to her. Like you are the world in this analogy. Like you are the one who's bad. And then he's it sitting there being so like gross and low and weird and like. I just, if I were Betty, I'd been like, the fuck is that supposed to mean? I think you're talking about yourself, bro. Like, yeah. this is not everything about me. you wanted. I mean, 100%. no, I didn't. No, I obviously fucking didn't, or I wouldn't be divorcing you. Yeah. No, he's yeah. actually mad that she is the innocent party in this and that she finally figured out that she w deserved more. I'm your wife, not a mirror. Like, hello. I just, yeah. It, mm. 
he goddamn lost his mind. He lost his mind. He did. And, like, it came back around because by the end of the episode, we do get the, like, this nice phone call between them before she goes off on her plane. But I'm like, too late. Yeah. I'm mad at you. He he does the bare minimum. <laughs> Congratulations, Don. <laughs> it took you the whole damn episode. Well, he and, doesn't want to be the bad guy. That's mm. the thing is he never actually wants to be the bad guy. He's talking about. So he had, sorry, he had to do this. No, you're fine. You're fine. No, it's fine. We're all we're all just bashing. This is what my feelings. This is yeah. what and it is like it is him taking some control over the relationship too. You're trying to tell me that you're gonna take the kids from her when she's gonna go live in Reno for six fucking weeks and they're staying with Carla. Explain. Yeah. Explain. How are you gonna take these kids? Because you can't even take them for six weeks? <laughs> How do either of them get the kids if they can't take them for six weeks? Like, there's just a lot of questions I have about that in general. Why is he staying in a hotel when his house is going to be empty for six weeks? <laughs> like, at least Betty knows where she's going to be sleeping. Donna's like, I don't know. But I'll be working. Donna has was it? Joan get him no a furnished shit. apartment. When she walks into the like the heist, he's like, oh, great, oh, you're here. Right. I need an apartment. She's like, furnished? He's like, yeah. She's like, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Because like, Joan yeah. knows exactly what's going on without eating. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Joan knew this was a matter of time. She's like, okay, I guess I lost $10 to so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> this happened earlier, like one month earlier than I thought it was. Joan. Oh, true hero. Yeah. I'm so happy for Betty, though. Oh, my She's God. Free. Yeah. Me too. This, this handsome man who wants to take care of her and validates her experience and, and makes her and feel things like head to toe. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Get that. Take that, Don. Yeah, that's I mean, Don can't like. even like make her interested in kissing. So like when <laughs> I'm just thinking when you kiss John Hamm and you feel nothing. That's when you know things are wrong. <laughs> like, honestly, how did she even act like she did? You know, like, <laughs> she deserves an Emmy for that. <laughs> because January Jones does not get enough credit as an actor. Straight up. I'm, she was written to be frosty. If I'm, if I'm supposed to be John's wife who's not interested in him and he's, like, making out with me on set, everyone's going to be like, Melissa, no. Like, you're not doing it correctly. <laughs> we can tell that you're into it. <laughs> and also be professional. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Heartbreak, children, etc. Hope the kids get through this. I think they'll be fine. We'll see. You know, it's the 60s. Don't a lot of people divorce then? The state of New York wants mm, nobody to ever get to... a divorce. Ever. 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 Oh, that's right. Wait, are these Gen X kids or are they boomers? Oh. The, um, the kids are boomers. Boomers, yeah. Should be late boomers. boomers. Oh, the worst. (laughs) Look at what Don and Betty did to us. (laughs) We can blame them. Let's just blame Don. Like, you could, you could, yeah, and I even think Baby Jean is like a late, late boomer because I think the earliest I've seen Gen X is like mid 60s. But like, it's, it's more of like, to me, it's more of like a, late 60s early 70s sort of thing but generations are all fake anyways and you talk to five people you get four different answers about what the delineation is don't don't get me started on the zennials <laughs> the whole are you gen x or are you a millennial thing it it yeah. depends <laughs> it's just it um, does it's just 
bad dads all the way down. Yeah. I just prefer to be called mm-hmm. an older millennial, but that's just me. Same. Me. Can I ask the question? Um, yeah. So I guess mostly for Melissa, uh, but everyone can answer, I guess. Like, what do you think is going to happen, like, tomorrow with with uh, this agency heist? Yeah, so I was thinking about that. Is there no, like, um, like uh, non-competes? Like... They got fired, so it kind of gets them out of whatever those contracts were. Yeah, so for the client, because actually it's something I think about a lot, like especially when Joan is like, the film isn't here, you need to get the logo files and all of that. Like, when you get let go from a job now, like, your shit gets shut down before, like, as you walk into HR's office or your manager's office. Like, so you walk out and you are powerless right because like they don't want you sending yourself contacts they don't want you sending yourself like files or folders or things like that so i do kind of like this is a grand assumption but part of me is like is this the processes and the policies that are in place now are they a product of this stuff happening a lot more when it was literal physical items that you could just like pick up and walk out with um or things like that but yeah the clients don't have any non-competes and I think that's why they chose those clients in particular. Um, although I, there, you know, Kenny made the comment about like Pete trying to poach John Deere, but I don't recall that. They all had like like Maddie said, they all ha- the the partners all had non competes in their contracts, but if they were fired, those were severed. Um, it was just they couldn't leave on their own. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and I think it depends on a, on a cli- on an agency and client basis, right? Like. I worked at, like you said, I worked at places before where it's like, if you left, you couldn't work for like a direct competitor. Um, I even know that where I live, there are companies that have like non-poaching contracts between them. Mm -hmm. So, Hmm. but yeah, I don't know if anyone has like any visions of greatness for uh, what you think the name's going to be. Right. I was thinking they need to come up with like, just like a catchy name, like the agency. (laughs) <laughs> or like you know whatever um because i did have to stop keep reminding myself sterling cooper draper and price because i always call lane yeah. lane, sterling cooper draper and lane sterling draper price sterling cooper draper price and campbell <laughs> uh i am gonna miss this office I did like well, the Sterling Cooper office. Are they getting rid of the office? Where's Ken's modern. haircut going to be? <laughs> I'm saying, Erickson. like, are they going to just rebrand the Sterling Cooper office? Or, like, do they, those people have to go work at a different office? They left. I mean, like, our our heist, our, our thieves left, and they, they will no longer be back in that building. I know, but Ken. They could possibly be. <laughs> Where will we see him in his hair? We're gonna you, get the second. Okay, we're gonna okay, get the second. Spoilers. Agency. Do you do you want do you want spoilers about Ken? No, I just want to talk about Ken. Do you... <laughs> <laughs> I already did some just to make sure this wasn't the like last time she's... I saw him or whatever. She's, she's Honestly, still just processing. Like I did the same thing. Just let her process. Yeah. Okay. Fair Wait, enough. Wait, Liz, fair you enough. like Ken? <laughs> I do. I do like Ken. Oh yeah. 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 Um, I know he's such a <laughs> cute, sweet, dumb boy. I just he really him. is. I know. I think I sent Annie a text message like when I first started watching, and she was like, "Ugh." 
<laughs> and I was like, I don't know why. I just like him. I, I have a penchant for assholes, though. So yes, yeah, he does, he does, he does turn. turn. And, and actually, I love Ken's journey throughout this thing. Um, I'm really excited. Yeah. I think you're going to like it. Um, <laughs> Let's go back to a weekly pod so I can get through it faster. Mostly it was just the recency bias of being remembered, of remembering like how oh, for sure. he was at the no, beginning. I don't blame you for that. He was not great in the beginning, but I just, I was like, oh, you're, I like you. No, the dumber that they make him, I feel like they make him like more dumb and less creepy as it goes on and it just gets better and better. <laughs> he, he gets like the Eric Matthews treatment. Oh, yeah. It yes. Plays <laughs> But yeah. Anyways, um, don't worry, Melissa. He'll Ken gets his own agency like side side plot line. Remember? <laughs> That's just all I could hope for. <laughs> just his haircut, though. It's just the haircut. <laughs> well, ever since Pete said that, I can't let it go. <laughs> all, right. all right. Was there anything else we wanted to cover before? No, I think we're really bits and bobs now. All right. Well, we actually had a couple emails after our last episode on season three, episode 12, The Grown Ups. So I'll read the first one here. We can talk about it. Then I can read the, the second one and then we can can discuss that if, if you folks are, are ready for that. So this first one comes from Todd and the subject line is The Grown Ups. Once again, great job discussing a great episode. Thank you. If Aww. I may, I'd like to point out if I may, I'd like to point out something you failed to discuss. Before I reveal this glaring omission, I'm a lifelong heterosexual male who never in my 61 years ever had a reaction to a wardrobe choice in TVs or TV, movies, or a Broadway show. <laughs> but when Trudy came out ready to go to the wedding, that, that fucking blue dress and matching shoes, I literally went, <laughs> whoa. Even, even better... When they decided not to go to the wedding and she snuggled up to Pete and kicked off her shoes, yes. what a perfect scene. If you Google if you Google Trudy Campbell, before you get to the P, one of the choices is the blue dress. Love the podcast. Love the discussions. I look forward to each new one you guys do, oh. Todd. Well, thank you, Todd. And we'll, Todd, thank uh, you we'll, so we'll, much. I hope You're you got your... So your correct. your uh, fucking rules. It's amazing. Your, yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that dress. Yes. Thank you so much, Todd, for your very kind words, despite our unforgivable mistake of not mentioning the perfection that Trudy is, especially yes. in that dress. I did like her A-line that she had when Pete, when they were when Roger and Don came over when Pete was faking sick. That was also a nice dress. It wasn't the blue dress, but it was a nice, I like the kind of nice kind of DR-esque A-line in the mm-hmm. script. It does speak to my mod cloth buying <laughs> self. So <laughs> there you go, there you go. Well, my living room's all mid-century modern, so maybe that's why I'm gonna miss the Sterling Cooper office. Oh, sorry. I know we're in emails. This is maybe this is bits and bobs. They had an open office plan, which is not a, like most people do not care for nowadays. And I wonder if that was very common in the '60s. I have no idea, but I thought that was like that's you really talk, interesting. You talked about like missing the office. They had a very open office plan. It's very loud and noisy. That was mainly the yeah. I was like chaos in that office. Like... I don't know how anybody ever got anything done. Honestly, there was typing all the time and phone calls and everything. I would hate it. Anyways, sorry. Oh no, no need to be sorry. No need to be sorry. 
All right, and our second email comes from Josh. The subject line is Mad Men and Redemption Arcs. Dear Melissa, Matt, and Annie, Josh here. Love the pod. I'm emailing about the recent discussion of redemption arcs in the episode on The Grown-Ups. I feel like the show works as a subversion of traditional character arcs in general, but more specifically, redemption arcs. It does not present us with simple redemptive arcs. We are not supposed to forgive the characters. Simple redemption, like a Star Wars character, is contrived and explicitly fictional. I find that the show is grounded in the character's... I find that the show is grounded in that the characters' stories and are often is often cyclical. Don never fully escapes his own destructive and hurtful cycle. Um, scanning a bit because it talks about form editing it for Melissa's benefit, but we've talked about Don's destructive mm-hmm. cycle before. This is reflective of watching people around me in my own life. People grow, but never in a perfect, neat, and complete way. In our own lives, arcs don't end. People are complicated and messy and shitty. That's the pain that's the pain of the show for me. And that's what makes it evocative and compelling. Totally agree. I agree that I think the show should be more delicate with its portrayals of things like sexual assault, handling of racism, sexism, and homophobia is often clumsy. For instance, I'm black and I do think the show has a lot of white people talking about black people and very little actual non-white presences. I also think that it's subversive and it is a subversive strength of the show that we struggle with these characters and we don't quote like them that they are they are not simplified to a neat narrative of growth and redemption. They are not explained away, they just are. What I usually take away from rewatching the show is that it's not up to me, the audience, to introspect and be that it well I sorry, I'm reading too fast here. What I usually take away from rewatching the show that it's up to me, the audience, to introspect and be better in my own life. It makes me think about how I process the pain and trauma I've experienced, whether or not I let a failure to process this negatively affect how I treat the people around me. This is why the depiction of Don's dissociative depression is compelling to me, despite him objectively being a shitty person. I try to let the cycles of the show, the failure of growth, be a cautionary tale. I personally do not feel the show would be as compelling if it gave us a simple moralistic tale about infallible people. None of the relationships I have in my own life are that simple, or black or white. Anyway, love the podcast. I'm just a bit conflicted about when you frame the show as trying to make you, quote, like the characters. I feel this is a reductive reading of the show. I think what the show is doing with its characters is more subversive and nuanced than simply wanting us to root for them. Looking forward to season four coverage, Josh. Thank you, Josh, for that that email. There's there's a lot to there's a lot to dig in there. And I think mm-hmm. from my perspective, the whole idea kind of, of of us doing this project of the show is to dig into kind of that 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 complexity and and some of that nuance and like full disclosure and i think i might have mentioned this even earlier in this episode in previous episodes um for me personally as a white cis guy i think there's a lot in the show that i also kind of similar to to josh that i am projecting a lot and as as we watch the show and we we talk about it i am trying to you know be introspective and do kind of some of that work as well and, and progress isn't isn't linear right mm. um there's like a lots of stops and starts and 
I think when we're moving forward, when we're growing and we're developing as individuals, like we do want that scatter plot, that scatter plot of stops and starts to kind of be moving in, in that right direction. But I totally agree that life is a lot more more complicated and I guess more more stranger than fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I um I actually do completely agree about the cyclical nature of like our patterns and who we are as people. Um and I think I was probably the one who was really hammering home that whole this show is trying to make us like these terrible people. Um and it's that's I still think that's a lot of times the case and showing, you know, the multiple sides of of the characters is a huge part of why the show was uh why the show was a success when it first aired and why it's still landing pretty well with me now, even though I complain so much on the show about the characters. I complain about the characters because I'm invested and they pull me in. I think, and I'm, I, uh, you know, correct me if I'm just putting words in your mouth, Melissa, that, you, that aren't yours, but um, a lot of the frustration that I think that we were getting at isn't necessarily that the show is just like we should like these people because they're messed up and they're also all uh you know good people like pete pete's super complicated and i would dislike him as a person if i knew him in person frankly but um but a lot of what uh what seemed the pat the pattern that the show is doing not necessarily the characters themselves that the show is doing is that being able to be this person who keeps cycling back to the same exact place with little progress seems to be a luxury that is afforded only to your mm-hmm. male characters. So Pete and Roger mm-hmm. and Don, they get to go back to being the shitty person. And then you have Joan, you have Peggy, and you have Betty, who all ha- are forced to grow. And I mean, a lot. I'm also reconciling with the fact that I definitely sided more with um, the male characters too the first time the show aired and fell into the same discourse as everyone being swept away with being like, you know, these are just side characters. They're great. They're amazing. Whatever. They're different. They're not like other women. And having to deal with the fact that like, actually, they're kind of every Mm -hmm. woman, (laughs) every woman, um, you know, in, in their different diversity of who they are as as people. And they have to grow They're They have to survive. And it that it just it just gets frustrating. It gets frustrating to see the male characters get to be so stagnant mm-hmm. and that they are still afforded the ability to be people that we are sympathetic for, even when they're terrible and we do get to hate them. Lord knows that I go through this Within multiple, and I and I know you do, yeah, Melissa, multiple times in an episode with Don specifically. Yeah. I, um, uh, let, let, I'll let you finish and then maybe I have something to say. Yeah, I had another point and now I've completely forgotten it in my hand waving about cycles. <laughs> so please so continue. My thing with this email, what really caught me is, um, this this thing about whether or not the show is asking us to like the characters. Um, I think that by virtue of being a TV show, the show is asking you to be on the side of the characters because nobody's going to watch TV with someone that they like don't support. So 
I'm I get mad at Don. I don't like Don. I think Don's a piece of shit, but I still am rooting for him. And that's the point of watching the show. So I think the fact that like we're calling the show out for the differences in the way it treats the character arts of the male and female characters. Um, I don't think that like I don't I don't know if what I'm trying to say even like makes sense. It's the like the fact of the show existing is asking us to like the characters. And so when you have them do it's it's just, it, it's just taxing. And that's probably the 2020 thing. And it's a lot because the way that we mm-hmm. see the men stagnate and fail is harming women. And like, I've just seen a lot of that and I've experienced a lot of that. And it's just harder to continue to watch and watch and watch and watch. And it's not that I don't like the characters. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't support, uh, maybe I don't support them, but I am rooting for them um, and I empathize with them. I just wish that it wasn't only the men in the show um, that were abusing my empathy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, a lot. Yeah, it's 100 percent because of like it's 2020 or 2021. <laughs> It's 2021. We've seen a lot of shows that have taken inspiration or have taken their cues from Mad Men with your bad dads and your toxic masculinity. And it's just that as good as the show is, and it, you know, especially when it's good, it's so good. It can be so good in those moments, but sometimes it becomes really fuzzy and like, is the show intentionally trying to draw this complicated image or is it like buying into its own? You know, is it a little too up its own butt sometimes about how it's portraying people? It that should probably be a little clearer. S- usually it is, but um, there are times where I'm like, I I don't know if you know what you're trying to get to here. Yeah, and like I'll give it but, to this episode yeah. because I think that we actually saw lasting permanent growth in some places for Don here. It is episode thirteen of season mm-hmm. three, <laughs> and I have said this before, so we shall see. <laughs> Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. So do Absolutely. you think that um, just listening to everything you guys are saying as far as like, is the show trying to make us like these characters and, you know, nodding to like the fact that there's a lot of guys on the show with bad dads and that's why they're so misunderstood. Do you think that that was just a trend of the early aughts? And, you know, mm. if you look at TV, especially in the last couple of years mm. where we get a lot more complicated even like female anti-heroes mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. whether or not they had dad or mommy issues or not um and so i think that maybe just the tv landscape was riddled with that in the early aughts and so like at the time that it was being made it maybe was like yeah you're gonna like these people because we're telling you to and they're like complicated and they're hard and they're different and like they're not Jamie Lannister. I will die on that sword. <laughs> but um, but I, I just also kind of wonder if it was just like very on trend for what was going on and what was on TV at that time. Yeah, I agree. Totally right. Cause, yeah. Because you have, you have The Sopranos. You had, you Which know. Which Matthew Deadwood, Weiner worked on. Had, yeah, right? You had this. You had, you had this. This was running on AMC at the same time as Breaking Bad. And like, I even remember like. Because I used to read GQ a lot when I worked in in men's formal wear. I said it was like a work thing. They didn't pay for my subscription. I should have asked them too. But I remember like, I remember an art reading an article like circa 2011 
2012 maybe and it was talking about male antiheroes and he was even like clocking Tyrion Lannister on Game of Thrones as being like another version of that where they're they're complicated have bad dads they're alcoholics and like all of that as well and like I think yeah it's it's very much of a piece and I think that like I don't what am I trying to say it, it just seemed like it came at a time where a lot of writers, male writers specifically, were working through mm. their own dad issues. Um, which just like, especially being a woman in her 30s who has consumed a lot of media in her lifetime, especially a lot of media like this, it, I have a little less tolerance for it, for the, the lack of... <laughs> I don't not sympathize with it, but it is a story that I have connected to multiple multiple times already, and and just like widening my scope and looking at how the rest of the characters and the stories get treated, it can be frustrating because like I Betty isn't necessarily in a lot of ways she is like our little our little princess with the with the bad dad, and she's. But she could also be like a stone cold bitch. She doesn't. Tr- she's terrible when it comes to people of color. She can be an incredibly, um, not a very nice mother, especially to Sally, and passed on all the insecurities and whatever she had from both her parents growing up. So, like, we know that they are capable of writing these characters. Um, yeah. So, sorry, I'm yeah. trying to cut you off. I think I'm gonna get right. like. A lot of hate mail for you guys for saying this so i apologize in advance but the way you just <laughs> described betty draper reminds me a lot of what sansa stark eventually became mm. Mm. a person for whom i would die so <laughs> yes <laughs> oh right and listeners, in case you haven't picked it up, just to jump in there, the four of us do all like Game of Thrones, and yes, that's kind of just how a we met. So it's bound to come up. Please continue. Yeah. So it's, it's like Sansa Stark. You're you're Betty Draper. That's proof that we don't just dislike characters who are unlikable and who can be terrible, but also have a lot of sympathetic reasons and traumatic childhoods and all that stuff. It's just like there's something really frustrating in 2021 that we bristle against when it comes to Pete and Don and Roger, especially if you're like me and you watched it in real time when it first came out, you remember the way that these characters were glorified in the media and how they were treated. They were gods, like less so Pete. I, I mean, say, we all kind of hated Pete a little bit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have mentioned this early in my origin story, like the way they were treated. And I was working at a different company at the time. And like, I remember when the first episode premiered and like the men in the office were so excited about it. I'm like, why can't I go back to the days where you could just drink? In that the makes office? me sweat. <laughs> I, I like tried to watch the like the first 20 minutes or so 10 minutes of the first episode and I was like this is terrible I hate this oh it's it's so bad the for the pilot we were taken aback by how bad yeah how bad it actually was like they like diet like the sexism is a theme throughout the show but like in the pilot like it's they dial 11. it up yeah. to like 11 like it's yeah. so yeah. So that was really hard. It's that a tough just turned watch. me off right away. Um, and I was like, and all these men are just obsessed with it and wish we could go back to that. Fuck this show. Fuck that. Like, yeah. I was sweating yeah. to Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think we've talked about kind of like one of the themes I think we've kind of like been trying to pull out and, and like focus on is, is the idea that like retweets are not endorsements. And like, I, I think... 
we know that on its face the show is like just presenting complex human beings and going through their life in this this particular place and time and i think that is where a lot of the good drama comes i think that's where why we're we're rooting for the characters and things like that and like i don't think we're trying to remove any of the nuance there and i think that the like we see that and that's going to come out in our, our responses to it but like i do think in some of like at least my criticisms of the show um and maybe this is bringing in too much kind of outside of the work material but like nuance can also be a place in which inequality hides right in which you know oh it's nuanced oh it's complicated and then like that gets used as a tool to prevent change right Mm -hmm. like oh it's complicated so let's not do anything or let's not call it out and things like that so art isn't created in a vacuum and i think that's that's the big thing as we go through and we're watching this at the time, whether we're where we were working at the time or watching it now in 2021, it's just like, it's, it's just not, it, you can't watch it in a vacuum. Like I think mm-hmm. you can compartmentalize it and you can analyze it on, on different levels and take different things out of it based on our own individual journeys. But yeah, yeah. I think for me, like, but oh, that was it's a, really a great email, email so thank you, you know, because yes. it's extended Very the episode, thoughtful. like 15 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was super thoughtful and we do appreciate it, even though it was just kind of like, oh, we, 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 I swear we understand what nuance is I think for me, it's just the, like in my own personal experience of trying to become a whole entire person who doesn't hurt people, you know, in my past, um, I'm not allowed to fail in this way because my actions have consequences and I have to sit with those consequences. And so it's like, in some ways I'm just like jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It sometimes it is like, just to go back with what I was saying about the show being like kind of fuzzy in its intention and its execution. It's just like, are you trying to point out that it's really unfair how these um, well off, um, white men uh, get certain privileges that women are getting or have you just completely missed that this is what you're actually projecting <laughs> and it's just a byproduct of the fact that that's just how reality is and that's that's I, I have a hard time with sometimes with the show because I'm like we've we've seen this story so many times now since 2007 but yeah it's it's yeah. still a good show and it's even been uh, see, this is such a good email, Josh. Thank you again because like we keep, I keep wanting to go on and like like talk about it and unpack it. Um, but it, like it's it's interesting for me as like being the cis male like on the show and not to like just to then introspect on what you say, Annie, and like what you say, Melissa, and what you know you say, Liz, in, in this this episode. And I hope you'll come on again or any of our like our previous guests because I think. All of our guests have been women, haven't they? Um, interesting. <laughs> Anyways, um, the ways in which I can watch it, and like, I am a feminist, and like, I do, I do believe in in doing this work and and growing, and like, I'm trying to be aware of the ways in which 
the nice guys, like I said earlier in this episode, can still perpetuate patriarchy. And even as like we watch this and talk about it, like I end up doing a lot of that same introspection. Like even as recently as a couple episodes episodes ago, when we were talking about Don and Suzanne, like I'm still thinking about the different ways, and I read that differently than than Annie did. And yeah, we're two individual people, but like our reflection of that art is still kind of coded in my mm-hmm. own privilege, right? As being like male. So it's, that's the thing that I appreciate about doing this project with y'all and talking at all is the, op- the, the thoughtful discussions and the opportunities for like that introspection and that reflection even off mic as well. So, so thank all of you and, and you too Liz, oh for, for being no, here today to come on and things thank- like that. It's, that's yeah, why I like doing the show with y'all, so thanks. So yeah. It also was a lot of fun, and I apologize for going down, like, the inside baseball grab it all a little much. <laughs> no, honestly. Oh, no, no, that was great. That was it's great. It's why we wanted you here. Other than the fact you're just delightful. Um, no, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it was a great email, and I think that there's, I think it'd be interesting to see, I think, in next season, or maybe the season after, there might be, some, like, visit it, revisit it a little bit. To see if anything has changed. Season four is fine. Yeah, I'm really excited. Season four, episode four. Melissa is really great. I think, I think we, we did, did it. it. This is going to be our longest episode to date. Oh, exciting. <laughs> it's a finale. We had extra friends. Like, yeah, there we go. The if we're ever going to have a long episode, this is it. That's oh, true. yeah. And Melissa, it's actually episode seven. I apologize. Not four. Seven. Episode seven. Okay. Well, I will see you in 14 <laughs> weeks. <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you guys wake me up when september ends okay well well liz thank you so much for joining us is there there anywhere folks can can find you if they want to hear more of your thoughts on mad men game of thrones yeah, or um, uh, anything else can be found at ebiceline on twitter um and then if you actually go over to the the pop culturist um uh, which is a podcast network you can find it on spotify and other pocket casts um, there, I do, um, a friend of ours, Colby, um, do an episode on MTV's The Challenge, Double Agents. We do kind of like a mid-season recap episode, which if you don't watch that, it's a great show and I highly recommend. And, um, I'm just bouncing around looking for podcasts to guest on, essentially, is what I do. <laughs> so, that is where you can find me. Thank you. Awesome. Annie, where can people find more of you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Pop Artery, P-O-P-A-R-T-E-R-Y. And you can also find me on The Daily Nightly, spelled with a K, uh, where uh, I am reading Mansfield Park with our good friend Jesse uh, as part of our little Jane Austen journey. If you really want to go back, you can always go uh, back a few episodes to when we discuss adaptations of Pride and Prejudice and hear Liz join us. It was and, a lot of fun. And we had a lot it was of fun also a very episode long too. episode. <laughs> It was was great. Uh, Yes. Melissa, what about you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O Yellow. And you can find me co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast, where we just did another episode about Promising Young Woman because we are obsessed with that movie. So there you go. Great. And you can find me on Twitter as well at Hue M-A-T-T-Y, H-U-G-H and also this week friend of the pod past and future guest Elise and I have launched a Star Trek Deep Space Nine rewatch podcast you can find us on on Twitter and your podcasty places as well it is called the pod race p-o-d slash w-r-a-i-t-h-s in the meantime if you want to be like Todd and Josh you can email us at at stillgreatbob at gmail.com you can tweet at us all together at at stillgreatpod on twitter please rate and review us in the podcasting system reviewer of your choice and as always thank you to dj empirical for our very groovy theme song yeah Yeah. well till next time guys see you in 1964 (laughs) Bye. bye We're going to cut this out. It's fine. We're going to cut that <laughs> you out. You hope. We'll cut that out. <laughs>